Well, good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors here. And as you just saw from the sermon bumper, we are finishing up a series called Break the Mold. And we're looking at biblical characters who really broke the mold. Um, we also do know, though, that we have teachers and administrators, others here, um, people who are homeschooling, people who are in Unity and Jenison and Hudsonville and all different places. And later on in the service, we, we are looking forward to being able to pray for you and to pray over you and to, to help you out with some things, hopefully. But right now, we're going to jump into that series with Break the Mold. And we're looking at a person by the name of Barnabas. Um, so anybody, who's ready for the Word of God? Anybody ready for the Word of God? So let's jump into Scripture. That's what we love here at Chapel Point more than absolutely anything else that we have. Write down the name Barnabas, and we're going to be talking about him today. Before I jump into Barnabas, so this is what I want to do. I want you to come up with a name that your closest friends and family would give to you. Imagine it's Thanksgiving and your family comes together or maybe it's Labor Day weekend. That's coming up here uh, next couple weeks, something like that. Um, and so all of a sudden you get together for a picnic and you're there and you step away and I say, okay, guys, everybody come here. What, would, what name would you give him or her? Like if you just look at one word that would describe who they are and what they've done in their life, that would be that description, that character of who that, what is it? What's that one word? I want you to think about that and possibly even write down that name or that word that would describe you best. Here's why it's important. Barnabas is known as what? Son of encouragement. That's his name. Barnabas, son of encouragement. Everybody say encouragement. Barnabas, that, yes. For lunch, you get anything you want. Um, mom and dad, take them to Leo's or whatever you gotta do. Um, so son of encouragement, that's what Barnabas means. So it's a description of who Barnabas is. Now, before I even go in farther into also into Barnabas, I wanna give you some descriptions, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament of the word encouragement and what it actually is. Because we, I learned, I've learned a lot just evaluating through the Old Testament. I was like, okay, in the Old Testament, who do we find, how, how is the word encouragement used? And the New Testament, how is the word encouragement used? And I've been going back and forth. And so I wanna go Hebrew first, Old Testament. All right, so here's Old Testament. Um, Nakam is the first word I want to give you. N-A-C-H-A-M. Hebrew word, and it actually means to breathe strongly. To breathe strongly. All right. The other word, um, chazak, C-H-A-Z-A-Q, means to give strength. To breathe strongly and to give strength. So that's what's happening in the Old Testament when it talks about encouragement. To breathe strongly and to give strength. To empower. To call out someone to that which they have been called. I'll give you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 28 it says, But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. So one of the things that we find in the Old Testament and the New Testament is encouragement, strengthening, confidence almost always is linked. Exhortation even. We often think of being an encourager as, oh man, you just look great today. That's a sharp shirt, man. I'm so glad your wife is finally shopping for you. <laughs> right? That's how we think of encouragement. It's so much deeper than that. But I would tell you that's, that's just 
That's, that's a falsity that we have in life. That's encouragement. I think that's flattery. But we've made encouragement about flattery rather than a confidence that we have in God, in God to strengthen other people. Deuteronomy 3.28, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he shall go over at the head of this people and he shall put them in possession of the land that you will see. He had been called to lead and now he was being called to do that with a tenacity in God. New Testament, parakleo, to call near. We know the word hopefully a little bit. Um, Para, to be near. Pericleo comes to call near from that. It continues on, and it draws some words like exhortion, exhorting. We, um, it calls on words like comfort. It's a calling out for people to remain faithful in walking in their faith. That's what biblical encouragement is. Romans 1, 11, and 12 gives a picture of this. Romans 1, 11, and 12 with the New Testament. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. There's, I told you, encouragement and strengthening almost always goes hand in hand. So when you're speaking it in somebody's life, you're now strengthening them in their faith. It means if you're strengthening them, you're bettering them. You're calling them to more. It says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that you may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Chuck Swindoll says that encouragement is the act of inspiring others with renewed courage, with a renewed spirit, and with renewed hope. When we encourage others, we spur them on to all that God has called them to. We stimulate them and we affirm them. Here's one way to think about it. Um, When we look at this, it says we can appreciate what a person does, right? But encouragement is deeper, right? Uh, Meaning you can appreciate something that someone has done uh, when when they've done something nice. Hey, man, that was a great game that you played. Or, man, you're really good at the piano um, or anything. Hey, you're really good at your job. Really just good job. Uh, Super. You did well on your calculus test. Um, Words that I've never been spoken to Joel Wayne. You did well on your calculus test. Um, we can appreciate, appreciate what a person does, but encouragement is deeper. Biblical encouragement is about who the person is and what they are now willing to do because of who they are in Christ. It's deeper. Biblical encouragement is far more than flattery. It is rooted in a confidence of who God is. That is the first thing you have to understand about encouragement. Because today we're looking at people who broke the mold. And when we look at people who broke the mold, we want to learn from them, grow from them, and then take on those characteristics. Here's someone who is an encourager, but encouragement is more than flattery. It's based in the confidence that you have in God. And now you are calling out others to live in that same confidence. Though I would describe with Barnabas, as you're going to hear this very clearly today, is because of who he knew God to be, he naturally called out others who claimed to know God to live in the confidence and believing in him and to actually step toward more that God is calling them to. In those ways, I'm often referred to as an exhorter. Right? If you've been coming to church here for at least 14 seconds, you know I'm an exhorter. If you know what that word means, I actually think that, that that is tied more to encouragement than flattery or anything else. It's calling others out if they claim to know Jesus Christ to live as God has desired for them to live. 
Barnabas, the name is mentioned um, five times in the epistles, 25 times in the book of Acts. 25 times in the book of Acts, his name is called out. When you go to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at just three passages that give us a picture of who he is today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, if you want to write this down. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 11. His original name is Joseph. Well, Joseph didn't seem to be fitting for him, and so he is now going to be referred to as Barnabas. It's as though the name Joseph just didn't do him justice. And when we learn about who he is, learn about his life, it's a name, Barnabas, that's going to be more reflective of who someone who gained his courage from God and then instilled that same courage and that same confidence into other people. Barnabas's faith and confidence, and that's what you have to understand, and this is who I pray that we all are, is that Barnabas's faith and confidence in God instilled confidence in others to break the mold of those around them. Teachers, I know we're appreciating you today, administrators, it doesn't matter where you teach or how you teach, but for every single one of us, I am wanting you to know right now that today I'm praying to instill in you a confidence in God that regardless of what the world says, regardless of what politicians may say, regardless of what anyone says, you can speak Jesus because there's nothing greater to speak. We're trying to raise up an army. I say it all the time. I'm not trying to raise up an army who are like, oh, I love Jesus, but I kind of live to myself. That's my emergency policy in case I die one day so that if the heaven thing's real, I go. No, we're trying to raise up people who have a deep belief in who Jesus Christ is, the fullness of the word of God, to gain confidence in who God is and then instill that into other people and to break the mold of the world because we know that the world is in desperate need of a savior and the savior has already come. His name is Jesus. We have to understand this. And that's exactly what Barnabas did. Barnabas chapter 4, 36 and 37. Scribble that down. We're introduced to him right away. Now, if you don't already know, I say some things a lot repeatedly because I need you to know them. And I've recognized I have kids. It takes at least 1,312,000 times of saying something before they get it. Do I hear hallelujah? All right? I'm like, clean your room. I turn around. I'm like, did you clean your room? I forgot. How in the world? Two and a half seconds. That's all it was. Oh, I just went personal for a moment. I'm sorry. Could you sense the exasperation for a moment? Acts chapter 4, 36 and 37. We're introduced to him. Here he is, Joseph. This is what it says. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas. So there's the name, which means son of what? You got to do better than that. There's a lot of people in this room right now. It's 95% capacity. You got to do better than that. This is a, you, we participate in worship. You're not here to observe. You're here to participate in worship. Yes? Barnabas means son of? A Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here comes this New Testament church. Acts chapter 1. Jesus, he ascends into heaven after 40 days here after his death and resurrection. He ascends into heaven. He says, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. He leaves the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is referred to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And right away in Acts chapter 1 and 2, especially we start seeing, especially in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2, the birth of the New Testament church. P uh, Peter preaches the first sermon, uh, Christian sermon after the ascension, and things just take off. They're adding thousands of people a day. Can you imagine that? Like God is blessing this place, Chapel Point. 
But if three or 4,000 people extra show up next week, I will have a permanent twitch. <laughs> but I pray it happens. I'll take the permanent twitch, yes? I'll take the twitch. That should be a t-shirt. I'll take the twitch, right? Because we look at it, thousands of people are coming in. They don't know what to do with everyone. So in a month, we add a fourth service, if you don't already know. 8 o'clock, 9, 15, 10, 45, and 12. Because this isn't, this is too many people in one room. For new people to come and feel like they can step in. For, for existing people, okay. But we're going to a fourth service. We don't feel called to build a larger worship center. So we're just going to keep adding services. And I'll get a permanent twitch. All right, but that's okay because we get to declare Jesus Christ. Well, there's so many people coming there and a scale so much greater than what we're experiencing with this movement of God because that's what this is. And so when we look at that, they're bringing in so many people, they don't know what to do with all of it. Think about all the resources needed with thousands of people coming in. And they're like, how do we provide for the widows over here and the orphans over here? How are we caring for all of these individuals over here? And I know that these people are traveling everywhere and preaching, but that takes resources too. And they don't have any resources because they're not working anymore. And so they need help to be able to get there to preach the gospel and resources were needed. So here comes Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, son of what? And he steps in, and right away, he knew that there were needs, and so he provided generosity. One of the greatest, one of the first, intro, the first introduction we have to Barnabas is somebody who provided encouragement through generosity. He sold a field. He goes, listen, I just went and sold my property, and he came, laid everything he had at the apostles' feet, and said, here. Didn't, we don't see any way of how he dictated, and it has to be spent on this, and this is how, and if it, it can't go toward coffee, it can only go toward chairs. He didn't, he's like, Here's money to help. What a powerful lesson. He encouraged through his generosity. It's the first thing we know about him. Again, he's mentioned 25 times in the book of Acts. One of the uh, times coming up that we introduced to him in Acts chapter 9. Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I was able to preach about Stephen. You remember this? And I'm preaching about Stephen, um, Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen is the first Christian martyr. Saul gives, you need to know a little bit of backstory. Saul gives approval to Stephen's death. This is before the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, Stephen, um, Saul is on the road to Damascus. He is one of the greatest persecutors of believers, of Christians. He is, a bright light comes, knocks him down, and he's like, man. And Jesus speaks to him, and he gives his life to Jesus in that moment. As a result of all that happening in Acts chapter 9, after this conversion, here's this person, Saul, who just really was persecuting other people left and right, right? Christians primarily. And immediately after his conversion, he's preaching Jesus. You want to talk about a light switch. The person who was dark, there's figuratively and spiritually significance to being blinded by a light, now is living according to the light, and there's a light switch that has been turned on, and his life is radically different. And as a result of that, the Jews were ticked off. They didn't trust him anymore, and so the Jews wanted to kill him. So Saul so comes into Jesus Christ, he starts preaching Jesus, and the Jews want to kill him. It tells us, Acts chapter 9, verse 23 says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Acts 9, 23 and 24. The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. This, you, you need to know this backstory. 
Saul was so hated by the Jews. Not only were they like, you know, you, you've, maybe you grew up in grade school. Somebody's like, if I see you after school, I'm going to get you, right? Well, these guys were watching for him to kill him. Verse 25 of chapter 9, but it says, But his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Saul, before knowing Christ, was in society and in culture was a stud. He walked around, I'm certain, chest bowed up a little bit. He kind of got to do what he wanted to do. He was known. He had authority. Comes to know Jesus Christ, and all those people now want to kill him. So much so that they're watching the gates day and night. He couldn't get out of the town. So they had to, the guy who walked with chest and shoulders back is now being lowered. It tells us this in scripture. He's being lowered in a basket outside the walls of the city in order to escape. One of the things that will always come in someone coming to understand who Jesus is is humility. You finally recognize that you can't do it on your own, so you surrender to Jesus Christ. And right there in that moment, I am certain that Saul came to a place of humility. Because walking into that city, he was a stud. Walking out of that city, he was surrendered to Jesus Christ. So they had to lower him down into a basket. It says the disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So he finally gets out. He goes where? To Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem. He wanted to, to join the disciples. Remember, Jews want to kill him. The disciples now want nothing to do with him because they don't trust him. They're afraid of him, it says. Can't win with the Jews. Can't win with the disciples. Here he is, no man's land. Nobody trusts him. And at that point, like, I get all the other leaders prior to my, in my life, prior to knowing Jesus, who are turning against me, want to kill me. That I can almost... Almost, I can almost comprehend that, right? But now the very disciples who love Jesus, and I'm saying I love Jesus, they're afraid of me. They want nothing to do with me either. And maybe at that moment, he wants to quit. I'm not sure. It doesn't say that, but I'm going, I just think about the anxiety and the stress that comes with that. Where's your home? Like, (laughs) where are the people who want to help you? Doesn't know what to do until Acts 9.27. Here's another mentioning of Barnabas. Jumps back onto the scene here next time. He says, but Barnabas, there he is, son of encouragement, not son of flattery, the son of confidence in God. That's how I would rename it. Barnabas, son of being confident in God. And he instilled that into other people. But Barnabas took him and brought him when nobody else would. It doesn't mention anybody else in this. It says the disciples, just prior to this in the prior verse, it says the disciples were afraid of him. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles, declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly, there's that, name, that word again, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas came to the defense of Saul. He came to the defense of others. Because Why? He came to the defense of those who were speaking Jesus. Teachers, administrators, students, if you are speaking Jesus and there is something happening, we want to come to your defense. We want to do everything we can, and we will. Speak Jesus. What you remain silent to, you will end up concurring with. Speak Jesus. Nurses, speak Jesus. Speak 
hope, doctors, attorneys, business people, teachers, doesn't matter who you are. There's nothing greater to speak than that of Jesus. And here he comes. Not only did he encourage through generosity, but he encouraged by raising up others in their ministry. And that's what he did for Saul. Last one to hit, Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, the disciples very quickly, so when they killed, I mentioned to you Acts chapter 6 and 7, and I'm hoping you're learning a little bit about the book of Acts here. Acts chapter 6 and 7, first Christian martyr Stephen, they kill him. That triggered things. The thousands and thousands of people are coming to know Christ very, very quickly, and yet they are being persecuted. And especially with the, the, the stoning of Stephen that Saul gave approval to at the end of Acts chapter 7. Read Acts chapter 7, 53 and following especially. But as that unfolded, it triggered something. And this persecution, you know, there's a wave of persecution. And so now the disciples are being scattered all over the Mediterranean coast pretty much. And uh, this is being derived from that um, persecution of Stephen. Some of them even went to Antioch. Antioch was about 400 miles away. That's no easy task, friends. Right? Yeah, yesterday I was in Ohio. Tomorrow I go to Connecticut. Like that's easy. We have these things called planes and cars. 400 miles for these guys. I don't care how healthy your donkey is. Right? That one hurts. So here they are being scattered. Some of them go as far as Antioch. And it tells us in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 20 and following, and especially in verse 21, it says, listen, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The, the persecution only grew the ministry they're going to Antioch. They're going to other places. They're preaching to Gentiles. They're preaching to absolutely everybody about who Jesus is. A great number believes. It reaches the news of the church in Jerusalem. And it tells us very clearly, 19 and following, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, there's the cause of it, right? They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Those are the Greeks. Those are the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, just numbers of them, waves of people are saying, I believe in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus Christ. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And so who do they send to Antioch 400 miles away? Barnabas. One of the ways he provides encouragement is not only through generosity and through his ministry of calling others out, but by his willingness to go. His willingness to go, oh man, you know that was an example. God was already using him in significant ways and now he's going, I'll go, 400 miles, not an easy trip to make, I'm in. People are coming to know the Lord, I'm in. So verse 23 and 24 says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. It just keeps saying, and a great number of people, a great many people were added to the Lord over and over and over again, because people were speaking boldly, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. When you go to school tomorrow, 
preach boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying to be in their face yelling at them. I'm saying, hey, they should see a different in your posture. And they're like, why are you different? You know what? It's Jesus. That's why we tell people all the time when you're encountering people, say, hey, I know it's the first day of school. Teachers, look at other teachers. What's one way I can be praying for you? Ask them the question. Another thing you do is, hey, can I, man, can I tell you what God's doing in my life right now? So many people were coming to the Lord, Barnabas. And, and you know, when Barnabas spoke in, in Acts chapter 9 and to Saul and really encouraged others to receive him, I think that, that kind of shaped their relationship pretty fast. So after this, it tells us that Barnabas went to find Saul and took Saul, Paul, back with him. Verse 25, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a year, they were there at the church and they taught many people. This is where they were first called Christians or people of the way. Acts chapter 11. Barnabas, son of what? Is teaching us what it is. Does anybody here, that's a pretty good calling. I want to be a son of encouragement, but that's not a son of flattery or a daughter of flattery. What that is is someone who you have so much confidence in God, you can't help but to call that same thing out in other people, calling them to live according to the will of God in their life, not their own preference, not their own opinion, but according to the will of God, to represent Jesus and to Gentiles, to Jews, it does not matter whom, God will take their heart. That's on him. That's not on you. But but it is our responsibility to speak the truth of who Jesus is. And so this is what we learn from him. A few lessons from Barnabas. I know I'm going quick, but you got to hear these lessons. All of these are from Acts chapter 11, 23 and 24. We already know that he encouraged in generosity. He encouraged in his ministry I think he encouraged by his willingness to go. So are you encouraging the ministry, the church, others by your generosity, by your ministry to other people, but also in your willingness to go? Big questions to ask. But here are some more lessons that we learned from him. One of the things that we recognize or, or that we see in Barnabas is that he recognized the grace of God. In Acts chapter 11, the people are suffering in many regards according to the world. They're, they're being scattered. They're being persecuted. They're being hated. Right? You, you, do you think that Saul was the only one who ends up hiding in a basket? What I mean by that is do you think he's the only one in which people were hating? No. And yet his first thing is he steps into Antioch, he goes and he sees the grace of God. Now that's about spiritual posturing. We speak often of the spiritual posturing here at Chapel Point. What is your spiritual posture in a situation? It changes the way you think of things, how you see things. Barnabas had a godly vision. Otherwise, he would have allowed the worldly interpretation of things to defeat him. But because he had a godly vision, a godly posturing, he saw the grace of God and thousands of people were coming to profess faith in him. I know that the world, anybody notice that the world is kind of crazy right now? Anybody, anybody notice that a little bit? 
And I think it's expected when you live in a world of sin and hatred. But I still trust Jesus. And I firmly believe that that was the posturing of Barnabas. He would step into that world of hatred, step into that world of persecution, step into the world of hardship, and he still declared Jesus Christ no matter what. And he just trusted Jesus to do what Jesus wanted to do, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, that stepped into the picture that brought this wave of people because he captivated their hearts, took hold of their hearts. He recognized the grace of, God, uh, grace of God. Other thing that he did and another lesson that he learned is he exhorted faithfulness in the midst of difficulty. I've already referenced that, but that's what he did. That's what a, an encourager does. It's not flattery. It's not, hey, nice shirt. It's exhorting people. That word is used often with the word encouragement, exhorting. It's exhorting people and their faithfulness even in the midst of of difficulty, of hardship. And then lastly, we learned that he gave godly confidence to others through his words and actions. That's a great way to summarize his life, right? And his generosity and his calling out of ministry to other people and his willingness to go And that's who we need to be as lovers of Jesus Christ. He steps in. He's like, when he came, he saw, he steps into Antioch with all this persecution, but also people coming to the Lord. And he's like, wow, I see the grace of God. And it says he was glad. And so he exhorts him to remain faithful to the Lord. You've got this. Stay faithful no matter what. Stop relinquishing your faith. Stop being muzzled by other people, but speak of his grace and his love and his mercy. Even if they beat you down, just remind them that they are still loved by an almighty God, but they need to receive that love that is given through his son, Jesus Christ. Speak boldly on his behalf. Live boldly on his behalf. Be willing to go. Be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to be generous. That's what it is to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Don't ignore the purpose that we are to have no other gods before us and that we are to go throughout the world professing and teaching disciples in the name of Jesus Christ that we are to submit our heart, mind, soul, and body to him. Nothing is left behind. It is all included in those things, the great commandment. And so, yes, be encouraged, be exhorted to be confident in the Lord, to trust that he will do all that he has promised to do. And so my question for you, is in the next 24 hours, who is the person that you need to encourage, to exhort, to give confidence, to keep doing what they're doing? And to reach out to them, to make a phone call, and to encourage them. Remember, that's not flattery. It's deeper than that. It's greater than that. You're going to speak to them and give them greater confidence to live for Jesus.
For some of you, it's moms and dads looking at your children and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I am calling you to speak boldly the name of Jesus, to live for him, knowing that he loves you, that he adores you, to always, always keep your faith at the center of everything that you do, of all decisions that you make. For some of you, it's doing that to your spouse who is a teacher or an administrator. For some of you, it's doing somebody who has a different job completely, but you look at them and say, tomorrow is a new day. God will do what he has said he will do. You will worship the Lord and be glad. You will be gracious in all things, but you will declare the love of God. Who's the one for you today that you need to encourage? God, we love you. We praise you. We declare your goodness. Thank you for people like Barnabas who broke the mold, who taught us the true definition, the true power, the true meaning, the true strength of encouragement to call out others to live faithfully, to call out others to live in boldness. We celebrate who you are, Lord, and we give you thanks. Amen.